This is a podcast that I do. I think it's kind of cool. I hope that you do too. Do, 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 do. Hello, everybody listening to this podcast, which is a podcast that I do. I'm your host, Salvatore Stefanelli, and this is the first episode of said podcast where I'm going to be talking about uh, things I find cool, fun, interesting, and that I hope to talk with uh, you know, the people behind such creations. And uh, you're in for a treat with this episode because we do have such a... I think someone who's kind of cool and awesome, at least from the interactions I've had with him on Twitter, and that is Hilal Chami um, of playerprofiler.com and fantasyfootballking.com. We're going to be talking about his um, you know, fantasy football drafting philosophy, some strategy talk, go over a recent uh, fantasy football draft he participated in that I was a part of too. Uh, so Hilal, welcome to the show. How are you doing tonight? Thank you. I'm doing great. Ready to talk some football. That's awesome. Um, so if you don't know of Halal on Twitter, you can find him at H-J-C-H-A-M-I. I find that not only do I, I learn a bit about his drafting philosophy, but I think I kind of learn a little about him as a person. He doesn't seem to be too swayed by public opinion when it comes to his fantasy football drafts. And uh, so, hello, before we get into the actual show, um, when I was talking to you off, offline before, you mentioned that you are the general manager of a holistic pet specialty store in North Carolina. So, like, how did you get into that line of work? Well, I uh, started dating a girl in college, um, and I told her that I never wanted her to become one of those quote-unquote crazy dog people um, and I started helping out at this shop that her brother opened and it was just literally a tent and a table at the North Carolina flea market Raleigh and state fair every year and it accidentally became my career um, and it's because I always wanted to be a sort of like a sales representative type of person I majored in international business and I wanted to represent something wholesome uh, for the community. And I found that at, it's called Unleash the Dog and Cat Stores. I found it there. So basically it's good, clean food, toys, chews, everything that you can need for a dog or cat with a holistic, all natural approach. So the most simple things are no corn, no wheat, no soy, which are just cheap fillers basically no byproducts, no chemicals, no ingredients sourced from China, just to start. Um, and then we take it even further from there. There's lines of guaranteed dog and cat toys. There's guaranteed leashes and collars. Um, and it just keeps going. Frozen raw diets are kind of the ideal there. Um, and we work our way down to freeze-dried, air-dried, all sorts of dehydrated products, canned food, kibble, kibble that has freeze-dried in it, and all sorts of stuff. So... I mean, the sad and good part is I could talk about it for hours, uh, but that's what I do all day, at least eight hours a day currently. So, I think we could probably find a lot of people to talk about their dogs forever. No oh, yeah. Fantasy My football. My thing is listening. Yeah, right. I can listen to customers talk about their dogs as much as I listen to customers talk about their fantasy football teams. And then I make, you know, I adapt my consultation based on that. So I'm literally consulting 
dog and cat owners all day at work, and then I consult fantasy football team owners all night. So I mean, you you said interested. you said offline that's your dream job, and honestly, that does sound like a dream job just to be able to spend all day talking to, well, not talk, but you know, interacting with pets and dogs and their owners. It just must be so right. much, I get, so much joy. Right, like your worst day is really not that bad. You know, it's <laughs> it's like someone you know is upset about something you help fix it and if you can't help fix it you find a way to find the right person or the right solution through the veterinarian whatever it is you know there's always a follow-up step so nice so uh before we segue into you know a different type of dream with which is fantasy football uh you mentioned a guaranteed uh dog toys since there's a lot of people that play fantasy football that are dog owners such as myself is there one toy you can know uh, recommend Absolutely. The one brand I love and will plug endlessly is called Go Nuts, but it's spelled G-O-U-G-H-N-U-T-S. And it is a lifetime guaranteed toy line that does a better job than the other guaranteed toy lines we sell. And so that's, I've got a lab pit mix and he's never chewed that toy line up, but he's chewed up all the other guaranteed toys. And so just based on customer interaction, personal interaction, that's the toughest toy I've found. And uh, so if I were to go into a store and find, and I find a line of Go Nuts toys, is there one specific toy I should, should purchase? My favorite is the, uh, it's like a figure eight. My favorite number is actually eight too, so it's kind of funny, but it's my favorite tug, fetch, bounce, floaty toy. Oh, nice. Awesome. I think uh, it's my, my mom's dog's birthday on Wednesday, so I'm going to see if I can buy something and ship it out to her as a little surprise. That's awesome that <laughs> we were able to get that out there before the show. All right, so uh, now we're going to move into the, the main the main reason why this, I, I really wanted to talk to uh, Hilal on my uh, podcast, and that is his fantasy football drafting philosophy and strategy. Uh, like I mentioned, uh, Halal will either like tweet out some thoughts about his draft strategy, or he'll send out some you know, roster constructions that he's put together. <clears throat> so, why don't you tell the people a little bit about your mentality when you're prepping for a draft, and uh, then we'll go from there. So, I think to know me um, and my draft strategy. You have to first understand that my goals are slightly different than actually winning. Um, so the Scott Fishbowl is a separate type of competition where it's obviously all for charity. And the goal is publicity. Um, and so I took a couple of years ago Dalvin Cook 101 um, before he broke out. And that like just went viral in the Scott Fishbowl area of Twitter. And then there was a ton of pressure the following year for me to make a similar pick. So I really was just like, well, I guess this is my thing now. It's time. I just got to keep going. And I have some fans that are like, oh, you're definitely going this guy. And so I kind of weigh all those options in and do a lot of strength of schedule, um, matchups, that kind of thing analysis. But in the end, I'm really looking at what around each player, is, like the supporting cast of each player and then talent, because I used to be so obsessed with talent. And talent works in Dynasty. You can take a guy that is super talented in your mind and just roll with it in Dynasty. But in Redraft, it's it's supporting cast, it's schedule, it's the ups and downs, the luck. Um, so I find that I want to maximize and optimize fun. 
And it reminds me, there's a game, a card game called Munchkin. Um, I don't know if you've ever played it, but there's a, you know, a weapon in the game called the three-handed sword. And it literally reads, it literally needs three hands to wield this sword. doesn't matter how you figure it out. There's some items that give you an extra hand, some items that let you cheat and use any item you want. And so my goal in any draft is to wield the equivalent players that year. There's only one 2013. There's only one 2014. You know, if you don't have that one guy, what's the point of playing fantasy that year? So it was Alvin Kamara before. I was the earliest on him in 2017. And I want to always kind of recreate that again and again each year. And this year, I want Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I made sure I was earliest on him, and I was earliest on Jonathan Taylor. Um, I don't want to jump around too much, but my philosophy literally involves people, not positions. And so Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, whether he's a running back or not, is actually sort of irrelevant to me. I want him, his situation, everything. And I did want Jonathan Taylor, but I actually looked at the Roto-Grinders app and saw someone else had already taken Clyde Edwards-Hilaire one pick, uh, what is it? 201 or one I think someone took him at 201 and so I decided to put Edwards Hilaire just before Jonathan Taylor just so I could maximize that and tweet it out later that I was earliest on him not knowing Damian Williams would opt out by the way right that was just huge like that was like like a little you know it's like I've already won Twitter it's time to quit like the season shouldn't even happen now it's already over and, um, and by doing that not only were you the first on Clyde but you were also the first on Taylor in the Scott Fishbowl Yes, which you pointed that out to me, actually. I didn't know I was first on Taylor. I, I was so focused, and I actually like Taylor more, but I was so focused on Edward Solaire because that's where the entire Twitter focus seems to be that I even missed the fact that I was earliest on Taylor as well, which is so funny to me because I actually like him even better. And the main reason we know all this is just a, a shout-out to uh, Josh Hornsby. He created the uh, Scott Fishbowl app which is on uh, rotogrinders.com. I always type rotogrinders.com slash SBX, but then it brings up a whole bunch of other stuff, so it's too long, but type in rotogrinders, SFBX, and you'll be able to find that. Just amazingly intuitive app that Josh put together for everybody drafting in the Scott Fishbowl. Absolutely. <clears throat> All right, so let me hone in a little bit on what you said here. You said you like you know, supporting, you look at the supporting talent of players, and in this situation when I'm talking about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, I'm going to assume that means in the Kansas City Chiefs offense, you know, we're surrounded by Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey. We've seen what running backs have been able to do in Andy Reid's offenses before. So was that kind of like your, your thinking as to why you wanted to hone in on him? Yep. I, uh, I made up a... Uh... I don't know what to call it, analytical number that compounds strength of schedule, offensive line ranking, um, ranking of uh, coaches like Andy Reid. And I basically just put all these numbers together and I call it the prayer score because it's really just a prayer. You're throwing <laughs> all these things at this player and you're like, well, I'm just going to pray that was all good, you know, good information and you run with it. And I, I published it last year, or the year before, I can't remember which year. Um, and it's funny because it always gets attacked, but it's just, it's just my way, you know, it's like, I am putting it out there just for fun. Um, and so I enjoy it when people are like, well, you know, all those numbers are just numbers. I'm like, okay, thanks guy. You know, it's great. I agree. Um, 
my favorite thing this year uh, is I've really looked at sharpfootballstats.com um, for the success rates and the DVOA um, and put together what I think is a solid enough schedule um, looking at their 2020 forecast based on pass defense blend, rush efficiency blend, running back pass efficiency defense of opponents. And just kind of looking through that and seeing that the uh, Colts are set up for a good running back year and uh, the, the Chiefs are as well, just using that data right there. Right. Um, and so I did draft both units uh, ideally hoping that I would have a starter at the beginning expecting Damian Williams to play I, I I like Damian Williams last year I had him in a lot of leagues um, he didn't really do much until much later he had his ups and downs um, so my goal was to just have both and I, I think Marlon Mack is also a, a totally serviceable fantasy football running back especially given his supporting cast and Jonathan Taylor is just, I mean, a superhero. He's like, you know, comparing Clark Kent to Superman now on the, with all the same supporting cast. Uh, <clears throat> so outside of, uh, no, the fresh Prince and, uh, Jay and Jonathan Taylor, is there another player who fits your mold? Are we talking about rookies only or just, no, and it can be anybody. It doesn't, do well this doesn't yeah, it okay. doesn't have to be just rookies. Um, there was a tweet talking about the unexpected running back one overall. I did tweet that it would be David Johnson using all the same information um, that he is going to be fully healed, using his early week production, uh, using the sharp football stats, strength of schedule. He is the only one that checks every box. Um, they did improve their offensive line. I, I sadly do like Duke Johnson, um, but I hope that they put David Johnson there to also target him in the passing game and that they force him to get some targets. So we'll see. So that, that's a great answer because it kind of brings me into another question I had that I wanted to ask you about rankings and ADP and taking someone like David Johnson, who at one point would be in the conversation as a first-round pick, uh, first overall pick in past drafts, and looking at this uh, multi-site ADP tool over at 4 for 4 they currently have David Johnson as the RB22 going early in the fifth round of 12-team drafts. So my question is, so David Johnson, someone you're looking to you know, draft as much as you can possibly, and you know ahead of your draft that you know, fifth round is kind of the target range, how does that impact your strategy going into the draft? Do you know, like, okay, he's going to be probably gone by round five, maybe I'm picking early uh, in round four. Are you willing to you know, leap above everybody else and just not care at all about ADB rankings, or do you kind of want to get a little bit of value? I, I appreciate value. Um, so there's, I don't really let the draft um, tell me who to draft. So if my plan is to draft David Johnson somewhere in that range, I don't mind reaching on him. And the Scott Fishbowl, I took him at 401 at running back 19. So it's actually right around where he did go if the ADP is right. But I know in Scott Fishbowl, the running backs went a lot faster. Um, but he was at running back 19, according to this. So... What happens is I also run a, an experimental group of leagues every year called Battle Zero. 
and it's where half the teams are strictly zero running back and half the teams are strictly zero wide receiver. And every year we look at who wins, who does the best. Um, and so each year the ADP is the only thing that swings those drafts. So if you got, say, James Conner late, um, and that was just going to be a zero running back year, you know, it's like how many teams had that guy and when did they draft him and why that kind of thing who got the waiver wire pickup first like all that kind of swing happens um same thing with alvin kamara if you drafted him to stash him the draft and stash is what wins that's how michael thomas blew up after like week three his rookie year he was doing nothing and i remember my brother-in-law dropped him he only drafted him because he knew his name from me was like, you know strictly casual league and he said, I knew he was going to suck because you liked him. He dropped him. I picked him up. He was a starter from like week four on. Like that's the kind of beauty that's draft and stash is the point. So if I really believed in a guy like David Johnson, I would reach on him. Um, and I do like being earliest on a guy like I did with Hilaire and I did with Taylor. Um, but really the value is all at the end of the draft. Like if you look at all the wide receivers I took, I'm really – praying for them i'm not really praying for my running backs to hit it's like i've already invested in them they pretty much have to i'm praying for the other guys now nice and so that's also another perfect segue because one thing i wanted to ask you about was you know the talk of twitter that, that happens every year is the, the zero rb draft strategy this is a safe space no one is going to judge you or question you or belittle you i like i legitimately want to know what your thoughts are on zero rb I respect and enjoy the fact that zero RB exists, but I've been hashtag zero wide receiver since I don't know what year. Um, that's been my like stance. That's been my brand. I, I grew on the zero wide receiver brand and went super, super late on guys like Michael Thomas. But then I have a lot of misses like Wendell Williams. Um, Tyrell Williams actually hit. There's just so many names out there that, you know, like going digs over Laquan uh, Treadwell, you know, like going just really anyone over the other guy. Going Godwin over Edwins. Like I tweeted about Godwin and Galladay well before they broke out. But I was also wrong on Charles Henderson the same exact time, um, which it kind of sucks. But and I forget there were four. Oh, Chad Williams. I had a tweet about the four uh, horsemen of the wide receiver apocalypse coming <laughs> that year. And I was 50% right. That's all I got. I got Godwin Galladay good, the other two bad. And that seems to be what happens. I'll pick four, two will hit. I'll pick two, one will hit. But that's the fun. Like, I, I still had one hit, even though, you know, sacrifices were made to get there. It's still fun. Um, and so, sorry, zero running back. I actually played, so that battles your league. I actually play at least one zero running back and one zero wide receiver every year. And there's one year I actually won both. I won as the zero running back team and won as the zero wide receiver team because I drafted the best quarterbacks and tight ends for both teams. It was just it's just how it worked. Like it was the rest. It was the rest of the supporting cast of those teams. All right, so I think now we can move into the main event of the podcast, and which is we're going to talk about your your Scott Fishbowl and uh, Raz Bowl. We'll start off with uh, Scott Fitchbowl. This year is the uh, hashtag SFBX. <clears throat> so um, like I was saying earlier, you know, most of your drafts tend to get a lot of attention on Twitter, some for good reasons, some for bad. But for me, no matter what, they're always fascinating because you 
you know, they just don't look like any other drafts you normally see on Twitter. And I'm drawn to these contrarian type of roster builds. And so for, for this specific draft, SFBX, you received a ton of attention. I can't remember how many people I saw tweeting out your roster, tweeting at you about, you know, hello, hello, what are you doing? Like, what's going on here? Because you start off your draft with, you know, four straight running backs, which... I mean, I've seen that before in plenty of drafts. It's not not the craziest start to a fantasy draft. But the thing is, with this draft, you took five quarterbacks within your first ten picks. And just for the people listening out there who might not know what Scott Fishbowl is, um, it is a super flex league, so you can start up to two quarterbacks. And it's also a multi-flex league. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it's four total flex spots, including the super flex. Uh, it's 11 starters. 11 total starters, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's also uh, a tight end premium, premium league. There, You can lose points for your quarterback getting sacked. Um, there's just so much that Scott throws into this. But I wanted to focus on your start right now because you basically went five running backs and five quarterbacks to start, ignored the wide receiver position. Uh, I think you kind of mentioned a little bit earlier about how you plan to attack the Scott Fishbowl heading into your draft. But was it your intention to get that many quarterbacks early on? And if so, what was your thought process behind that, seeing that you can only start a max of two every week? And um, so once, yeah, go I'll, I'll just say, just to for the people listening out there, his quarterbacks were Joe Burrow, Baker Mayfield. He took them back-to-back at the end of the fifth and the beginning of the sixth round. Then you took a running back, and then you went three straight quarterbacks after that with Cam Newton, Philip Rivers and Gardner Minshew. So by round 10, you had five of the 27 total quarterbacks drafted. Right. So I like to pair a safe with an upside um, play, but it seems like there's a lot of uh, upside going on there. Uh, I looked at the past defense blends for each team on the Shark Football stats, and I liked everyone's schedule. Except Cam Newton. That was kind of a homer pick right there. Um, I've been a Cam fan from day one, and I'm a North Carolina guy, and I am totally rooting for him. And I think that if any team is going to optimize his skill set, it's got to be the Pats. So we're just kind of – I want to be – he's like another three-handed sword. I want to have him in every league. Um, I had him in a lot of dynasties. He really messed me up you know, last year, but I'm hoping he's healthy. When healthy, he's an underrated pocket passer, not just a rusher. Um, That's my, you know, Homer opinion of him. I think Burrow could be the Scott Fishbowl MVP. If he hits, he's like the biggest fiery tornado there is as far as a QB selection. Um, Baker Mayfield, I thought should have hit last year. He was actually my round one pick in the last Scott Fishbowl because I was so sure he was going to hit, and I was so wrong. Um, But I think this year they're going to be a little more run-heavy, but I do think that Baker will have more time to throw. I think that they're improving quietly. Um, And then Phil Rivers and Minshew have the next best uh, awesome schedules to work with, and I think that their weapons are going to be just fine. Uh, And I wanted to be able to play matchups. I have five because I want to start – two top five QBs each week. I want to have the ability to be wrong. Um, So I've noticed that a lot of zero running back drafters are scared to take risks. That's why they're going zero running back. 
oh, I don't want to spend round one draft capital on a guy who's going to get injured. Running backs get injured. My way of solving the same problem is to stack the risk, stack the upside. Oh, well, if he's going to get injured, make sure your next man up has round two draft capital. If he's going to get injured, make sure your next man up has round three draft capital. And that's why I go running back, running back, running back, running back. I used to do drafts where I would go running back through like round eight, literally fill my, it was like ESPN had a limit of eight running backs and then start addressing other positions because that's just my strategy. Um, it's always been. And so it makes this kind of stuff easy. And the nicest part about going robust running back or zero wide receiver like I do is you can still take the sleeper running backs like Antonio Gibson, like a late rounder on Marlon Mack, who's going to be serviceable week one. I thought Damian Williams would be serviceable as well, but you can still go for those cheap investments and still win with those guys if they outperform your early round picks. No, as no anybody out there listening to this podcast knows that I came into the fantasy football community from a super flex two quarterback background, and when I look at a roster like this, which is super flex, super flex, but with the Scott Fishbowl, there's no trading. So, you know, sometimes you do see, especially in dynasty uh, startups, someone taking four or five or even like six quarterbacks with the intention of trying to trade one later on to a team that didn't grab a couple or to a team that loses a quarterback during the year because we see how much turnover there is at the position due to injuries or no ineffective starters. But you can't trade in this league, so that's why I find it. Know, so unique that you ended up with five quarterbacks and not only five quarterbacks but five starting quarterbacks five quarterbacks who I think have the potential to be you know top 15 fantasy quarterbacks so there I think there's a little bit of a disadvantage there because you use up so much draft capital on the position in a league where you know you can't trade them for valuing if say if one of your running backs or receivers go down but at the same time you have five quarterbacks there's 11 other teams in the league that you know potentially want to start uh, at least two quarterbacks every week. Was that something that was kind of going through your mind? Like, okay, if I grab these quarterbacks, then everyone else in the league is going to be at a potential disadvantage. Yes, so anyone I take can't be used against me. So if I have weird uh, feelings at night about Cam Newton, I never want to worry about him playing against me any week ever. Um, and so that's kind of how I take drafts is if I think he has potential, I want him on my team and I'm going to ride the risk. I know that I'm, you know, using more bench space. I'm losing some advantage, but I'm also gaining advantage in that I'm not playing against him ever. Now, did you have um, a lot of people hating on you for taking five quarterbacks, especially other people in your league or people that follow you on Twitter? <laughs> And like no how attacked me. I okay. actually go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No one attacked me within my league, which I thought was interesting. I really thought someone would be like upset, you know, with I can't believe while I was doing this, he's ruining our draft. It was actually all in good fun because we had our own private Twitter chat and they were all so nice and so, you know, talkative. Everything was all for fun. Um I even had um uh, Scott Barrett is in there, um, and Mike Clay joined, and I was like, oh, God, I'm embarrassing myself in front of, like, actual <laughs> professionals now. This is getting awkward, but they just, they rolled with it. They thought it was hilarious. Like, I feel bad for Scott, because he wanted Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and I went ahead and reached, you know, 
but at the same time, I've got to do my thing. He's got to do his. We just happen to be in the same division. So, Brandon, um, did Scott have the first overall pick in your league? Uh, yes, he had McCaffrey. Right. So, and that is if he really wanted him, the only time he probably could have taken him was with that first overall draft yeah. pick. But at the time, no, I don't think anybody was looking at CEH as someone who you would take first overall in drafts. No. He could have been, if the Scott Fishbowl had drafted later, I think he could have been a 101 for another league. Not ours in particular. I don't think Scott would pull the trigger, but someone would. I right. guarantee it. It's just crazy. This was, what, like about a month ago, and uh, just yesterday I saw the draft board of a Joes versus Pros league where CEH actually was the first overall pick. Uh-huh. Um, so some of the things that stood out to me, you know, you had five quarterbacks, seven running backs, uh, you had rookie running backs, you have two running backs from the same team. I think you kind of mentioned the reasoning behind why you wanted the Chiefs running backs and the Colts running backs. Um, then the other rookie running back you took was Antonio Gibson, who ended up being your last running back. And then something else, too, that I wanted to talk to you about is your love of rookies in the Scott Fishbowl. You had you no... Know, the running backs I mentioned, and then you had Michael Pittman, Lavishka, Chenault at uh, receiver. Is that kind of just like a, a dynasty mentality that you bring with you into redraft, or is it you just love these players no matter the format? I think it's more of a, I don't think the guys ahead of them are as secure as people think. I like T.Y. Hilton. I don't honestly believe he and Paris Campbell are going to command as many targets as people think. And T.Y. Hilton's already got a little minor injury tweaking like he always does. Um, I think that he's boomer bust. Um, and I think that Michael Pittman's going to command more targets. That's all. And then T. Higgins. Every every one of these guys is like, I, I honestly believe they're going to have some sort of chemistry and do really, really well. Um, that's basically it. Like, I can look at everyone's... Uh, if you go to literallyplayerprofiler.com, you can get a snapshot of any player so quickly. Um, so, like, if you go to Michael Pittman right now, you can see... Yeah, I'm on his page. Dominator rating. Yeah, there's just everything there screams value to me, even though he's a rookie. <laughs> um, but he was a very early second-round pick. Everything looks good to me. Um, and I think that he's going to command targets. I think he's going to earn targets quickly and i'm fine in a scott fishbowl type of scoring starting guys like muhammad sanu jalen hurd while debo's out traquan smith boom bust maybe uh miles boykin i actually think is going to be better james washington all those veterans um i think are going to be totally serviceable in a league that doesn't really favor the wide receiver position i think the difference between the top 10 and the top 100 receivers is not that vast when it comes to wide receiver in this particular type of scoring so like we mentioned earlier how in the the josh hornsby app you were the you know the first uh, drafter to take clyde edwards hilaire you're the first drafter to take jonathan taylor and on the flip side out of 1440 teams you were the first to take a wide receiver who you mentioned was michael Pittman. so it, it, is it just how you're saying they're going off of that these are just guys you think are better than who's in front of them they're just players you think are going to end up outperforming you no know, their adp i mean scott fishbowl adp is kind of interesting but in that instance they're just mm -hmm. type 
just guys that you want to kind of buy in low who you think are just going to outperform where they're being drafted. Exactly right. And a lot of these guys, I'm hoping, uh, even though there's, you know, three rookies in a row there, I still want to start week one guys like James Washington, who I think is super underrated and going to challenge Deontay Johnson for targets. Um, Jalen Hurd while Debo's out. Like, I have starters, week one starters. I think Muhammad Sidhu and Cam are going to connect well. Um, Traquan Smith, you throw him in any flex, any time, and pray on a home game with Breeze. Um, and I think Miles Boykin's going to break out this year. I don't think Marquise Brown um, or any other receiver is has as much potential as Miles Boykin does on that offense as far as a wide receiver goes. So to wrap up our, our Scott Fishbowl talk, uh, I want to ask you this one question. Um, once Scott Fishbowl ends, we don't get to uh, pick up anybody off of waivers right away. We have to wait a little bit. Is there anybody since the draft ended that you're just chomping to put a fab bid in on? No one yet. No one. <laughs> I think that, um, I mean, no one drafted, you know, a Zigbo. That'd be one to look at um, behind Fournette. Uh, I mean, that'd be kind of the more obvious option, but I don't, I don't want to drop any players yet either. Right. Not that anyone would pick up some of my <laughs> tail end ones, but, uh, yeah, if you don't have Adam Trotman, I think you should grab Adam Trotman. So I think that he's going to start playing this year and do really well in the tight end position for the saints. Um, and I doubt he's, I doubt he's, um, drafted in many leagues at all. So He's probably well, undrafted in most fantasy leagues. We can look at uh, how he was drafted in the Scott Fishbowl. If you give me one second to pull it up. Um, he was taken in 44 leagues, and you, you surprisingly were not the earliest on him either. <laughs> so there are some other Trotman believers out there. Mm-hmm. It's always fun to see who I'm not earliest on because <laughs> I'm shocked. Like, oh, someone likes him better than me. Interesting. I didn't know anyone could. <laughs> nice. I mean, the only thing I, I go to in this, in this um, Roto-Grinders app is just see how many other teams drafted Alex Smith. And uh, sadly, I was the only one this year. <laughs> All right, uh, I think that's that's enough, Scott Fishball. I think you really um, help you help me realize kind of like what you're going for in this draft, um, kind of what your philosophy was, and I hope other people who are listening out there uh, will take the time to <laughs> to listen to your thoughts about how, why you took five quarterbacks and where you took them in the Scott Fishball. Uh, moving on to that, the other draft I saw you tweeting about recently was the Raz Bowl. So before I get into that, can you just give us a brief rundown on what the Raz Bowl is and the settings? Because I think that one also has some unique rules to it so the Raz Bowl I believe is a best ball through week nine uh, if I read that correctly and it is not a super flex league um, and as far as the scoring goes I honestly don't know if it's drastic like Scott Fishbowl at all I, I read like a couple tweets on it I get invited I think it's been two years maybe three now um, and it's kind of hard and hard because I didn't focus on the scoring as much, but I did glance at it and then just say, okay, I'm ready. Um, and I don't know if they have any wacky scoring unless you know of some other scoring I'm not sure of. 
I don't. I don't really follow the Razbol too much. I only know about it from last year because I think uh, my my friend, you know, um, uh, Greg Sauce on Twitter was involved in it, and I just see mm-hmm. people tweeting about it. So, this this is a tweet that stood out for me when talking about the Razbol. You said that no, your current roster construction is the exact opposite of what you're most comfortable with, and then you posted a screenshot of your roster up uh, to that point, which was DeAndre Swift. Michael Thomas, Chris Godwin, DJ Moore, and Tyler Lockett. Um, if you had some more picks that you want to highlight after that, go for it. But um, for now, just walk us through this draft a bit and why it's not something you're comfortable with. So I guess you could say I'm even less comfortable with repeating the same draft over and over. So I'm more comfortable being uncomfortable than I am comfortable. No way. Um, so I love my Scott Fishbowl team. But I've already done it. It's done. It's a work of art. The colors are amazing thanks to the app. You know, you can see (laughs) it. And as soon as I was on the clock, without even meaning to, I didn't go Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I could have. I went Michael Thomas. I said, this is is how I'm going to build this team. And I wanted to do – I went NFC South main wide receivers. I went Thomas Godwin-Moore, which is my favorite division – I am a homer for the Carolina Panthers, but that division is always fun to watch the shootouts. Um, I like Brady coming into town. It's going to be fun. Um, Teddy with the Panthers um, playing from behind. I think DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, whoever is going to run. Robbie Anderson is going to be just fine, you know, week in, week out. Um, And it's the best part about this is it's best ball. So I'm so excited to not worry about my lineups and just go all upside all the time and try to fill my flex with guys like Brandon Cooks, um, who is who is my final flex after uh, Tyler Lockett. Uh, I started the tight end run by drafting Rob Gronkowski, and it was he was buried in the depth chart. I'm not sure what happened, or I'm not sure what's going on with the Raz Bowl, but literally you have to scroll all the way to the bottom to find Rob Gronkowski. So I scrolled to the bottom, drafted him, and everyone started freaking out. Brother tight end, which is pretty sweet. Um, and the annoying part is these guys went running back heavy. Like I, I mean, I was stuck. I liked DeAndre Swift, but I didn't want him as my running back one. But he was the only thing available that I liked at the time. Marlon Mack, I did not intend to be my running back too. This is like. This is the most uncomfortable running back core I have in, across any league. And so, and then the worst part about the Raz Bowl, Antonio Gibson is a freaking wide receiver. So I couldn't find him. He's my guy for zero running back teams this year. And I kept scrolling and scrolling, kept sorting by running back. And I almost tried to figure out if he was drafted or removed somehow. And then I remembered, oh crap. And I switched to wide receiver and he was right there. And it was just, I tweeted about it too. I said, I want to redo on Razbol because I didn't know he was going to be a wide receiver. Like, I just have another receiver, not a running back now. So in this league, the um, ultimate uh, zero running back isn't even a running back in their format. Exactly. <laughs> Therefore, I need to go back to the drawing board. Redo Razbol, folks. Come on. Um, so I went, this was actually kind of fun. This is, uh, I get Deshaun Watson in this league because there was like no QBs drafted up to that point, you know, up through Deshaun. Um, and then I went Baker Mayfield and Drew Brees as my next two picks. So I, the only bench I have right now is quarterback. So it seems to be that everyone wants a late back. And so I see these guys 
feel have top five upside. I know you're saying top 15, top 10, but I'm looking for upside. So I think that those three quarterbacks, even in a one QB league, especially in a best ball, feel safer to me always owning that position with the wide receivers, especially Breeze Thomas stacked or um, Deshaun Watson Cook stacked. I'm so excited to see those boom weeks hit. And hopefully if you can stream together the right booms and busts in best ball, you're going to always have a boom going each week. You know, Deshaun and Cooks in a league where you have to choose when to start them is not going to be as fun as a best ball league where you have Breeze and Thomas as well. So it's just going to be fun watching them go off. I want I want to follow up with a question. Um, you know, one of your affiliations is fantasyfootballking.com. dot uh, com. For anybody that doesn't know that uh, company or website, it's kind of like a a draft consultation website. Uh, you, you know, if someone needs help with a draft or someone, I'm going to say if they need to fill in for a draft, they would reach out to the site and they'd be paired up with a consultant to provide them advice or tell them who to pick or pick for them. And so you mentioned in this Razzball, no, you said it's, I uh, know you weren't comfortable with it. You uh, had this moment of like, what's going on? I can't find Antonio Gibson. But no, we've all been there. Fantasy drafts. Well, we have a plan. We go in with our plan. Something happens. Then we're just screwed. Cause we have, uh, we weren't expecting what happened. I know they always say, try to have a backup plan, uh, plan C, but whatever. So let's say, um, someone wants to get in touch with the fantasy football king. They're paired up with you, and um, they ask you this question: though, "What happens? I'm in a draft. Something crazy, unexpected. I, I just, I'm scrambling. I don't know what to do. What advice would you give them in that moment to help, you know, calm them down and get them back on the right track?" So there's always a way. Um... It really depends on the entire league settings. I've helped redraft, dynasty, all sorts of different things. So it it's really personalized and really fluid. And so staying calm and always being ready to adapt, being ready to change is really the whole point of this. The way I treat my teams, I even tell clients this, the way I treat my teams is strictly for fun. It's like I'm using drugs, you know, it's all, it's crazy crazy like don't do what i'm doing over here i will tell you what the safe option is i'll tell you who my sleepers are but in the end you know i know what safe is one of the easiest things that patrick always says is you know your first four picks have to be safe don't go upside your first four and i forget who i was listening to was talking about about if you have to talk yourself into drafting someone you shouldn't be drafting them if you have to talk yourself out of drafting someone, they're probably a safe pick about what round you're taking these players in. Um, so if someone was in my Raz Bowl setup, I would honestly say that they're still good to go, even without Antonio Gibson because of this type of draft. You're really going zero running back, but you still have DeAndre Swift, who should hit this year. Carry on Jones. I mean, I can talk about any player and tout them. Um, <laughs> For a long time. I think Marlon Mack and DeAndre Swift are serviceable, but for my own personal desires, I would fill that end of the bench with lots of upside running backs right at the end. Uh, but it's also hard because it's best ball. So I want to have a ton of boom wide receivers as well to fill in those flexes. You know, I find it so so funny. We spend so much time focusing on like the first or second round picks or fantasy drafts, and then at the end of the year, the season's done, and some of those players had absolutely no impact at all on our drafts. Yep, 
Exactly. Well, it's landmines. You don't right. want to draft a landmine up at the beginning, and you want to draft all the you know upside rocket ships at the end of the draft. And really, once you get past like round four or five, ADP almost doesn't matter anymore. So you can just go as crazy upside as you want, but make sure you're building an actual startable every week roster. Not about bye weeks, but about if this guy doesn't hit, what am I going to do? And that's what I do with everyone. If Michael Thomas starts to suck this year, who's my next man up? You know, that's like literally every every position I'm looking at. Yeah, no, that's something I do specifically in Superflex with two quarterback leagues is I make a ranking of the backup quarterbacks for each team just because I know how many of those are going to start at least one game during the season. I want to be prepared for when that moment comes. Absolutely. All right, so I'm going to start winding down this podcast and uh, switch over to a little Twitter talk. Um, you know, we always hear people on Twitter say, you know, this is so-and-so's brand or this is my brand. And you know, Twitter tends to be a place where people kind of you know go there to share their articles they've written or podcasts they've done to their audience. But you no, know, I was asking you, can you, before uh, we were recording, I wanted to read up on some of your work on draft strategy. But you took the opposite approach and you told me in an email that, no, you like to tweet more than you write on draft strategy because you found that you no, know, the right tweet on Twitter or leading by examples is more engaging than the countless articles available to fantasy gamers. Can you expand on that philosophy and maybe give some advice to uh, people just breaking into the fantasy football industry? Yeah, I mean, everyone knows the numbers. Um, so if you go to, if I wanted to write a Michael Pittman article right now. I could pull all the data from playerprofiler.com. I could look up PFF. I could go to all the numbers and create this perfect article. And I would, uh, let's say it's like, I don't know, five, six paragraphs long. It's well-written. Um, I tweet about it. No one's going to actually click and read it. They're going to either retweet it or talk about the title of the article or, or some like what tweet or excerpt I put in the actual quote. Um, and Twitter just installed a new feature where if you try to retweet something, it says, are you sure you want to retweet this without reading first? And I love it. I love it. That could actually change the landscape a little bit, maybe. But I noticed you can't override and just say, yes, I will retweet this. <laughs> um, and so it's so funny. I was writing so many articles um, for Player Profiler when I first started. And I was like, man, the amount of time and energy I invest into the actual article versus the publicity is not actually working for me anymore. Um, and so I started tweeting more. I started just promoting the player profiler brand. Um, I started focusing on other things. Um, and Matt Kelly asked me to do a sleeper, I forget what the project was, article. Um, and we could pick any player. Mine was Duke Johnson. And instead of writing an article, I literally just put all the data in order and that was my article. And it actually worked. You literally read, it reads as like Duke Johnson is running back three in yards created. Duke Johnson is running back four in, and it literally is just a bunch of stats. Duke Johnson's ADP is this. Why are we not drafting him? That was the whole article. And he literally was like, this is great. This is good. And just put it on there. Like it was like, uh, you know, 100 analysts um, sleepers or something like that. I forget what the article is titled, but it the amount of time you invest and the amount of reading that gets done and the back and forth, like that one thing I did say in the response to you too was I think that posting 
what I do matters more than what I say. So doing the Scott Fishbowl draft is way cooler than saying I'm gonna. Like, oh yeah, well, I'm gonna. Like, no one cares about gonna. Look at what I did. You know, look at this crazy mess I've created for myself when people are typing at me in all caps, what are you doing? I actually got into it um, last year or the year before with a guy who was like, well, I'm never going to use the Fantasy Football King services um, because, you know, you're, you're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, look, man, like, if you can't enjoy this for what it is, like, then maybe you shouldn't be here. Like, what are we doing here? We're on Twitter. We're drafting a, in a, for a fake football. You know, it's like, it's fantasy. Like, this is fantasy. Let's have some fun. Like, how serious can you take this? Like, I do put, you know, money into it as well, but you should never put money that you can't afford to lose into this kind of game. Um, so it's it's fun. I mean, you should have fun. No, exactly. Like, if you're not playing f- fantasy football to have fun, then why are you playing fantasy football? I get the exactly. money aspect, but you know, when, I'm not sure about when you started playing fantasy football, but when I started playing fantasy football, it was low stakes. DFS didn't exist. I couldn't make money every weekend playing. I just did it because I loved to do it. Exactly. Uh, <clears throat> I did want to just expand on your point there because I understand like where you're coming at it about no spending more time putting out engaging tweets and just uh, like, oh, here's this article. Check out my crazy Scott Fishbowl draft and a link to it uh, compared to just, you know, putting out a roster of your draft. I think for me, it's because I I think I'm one of the the rare people that tries to read as much content as possible, be it fantasy football or not fantasy football, so that I really do like getting myself invested into an article. But I will say what you're saying makes 100% sense that you're going to get more engagement from just talking about your teams or just showing up, throwing out a draft board of the, the roster you put together, especially with the Scott Fishbowl app that Josh put together. We have this app with these pretty colors. Now I look at your draft board. There's one side is all pink and blue. The other side is all green and blue. So I have to imagine though, the engagement on that would probably be 10 times what it would be if you just threw out a link to you, an article you wrote about your strategy in that Scott Fishbowl. Hey. I think you just inspired me to start writing again. Just the fact that you exist is all I needed to hear. Okay, at least I know one guy is going to be reading this, and I'm going to write this really well and make sure I send it to him. All right, yeah. If you write the next article you write, make sure you, tw- you, make sure that you tweet it at me. I will read it and retweet it to everybody. I, I've actually seen you. You do. Um, aren't you the one that does a tweet like anyone who's working on something new? I'll retweet it, kind of thing. I think that was you, right? Yeah, I try to do that every year. I, I try to welcome in yeah. the new people to the industry by saying, "No, oh, if you're new to the industry, share an article you wrote or a podcast you're on. I'll retweet it." Then I hope that other people will retweet that just to get more awareness to these new people because we all started out at the bottom we know what it's like you know you get that first person that follows you or that first person that retweets the article it's like oh man someone is actually like following me and reading what i have to say but there's just so many websites and analysts and people on twitter that it's easy to just get lost in the noise so i just want to try and do my part to give back to the people that helped give me a voice in this industry Thank you for doing that. I respect it, love it, retweet as much as I can. So, And that's the whole goal. All right. Um, so I know that we just talked about uh, a good part of Twitter. So there is a bad part of Twitter. <laughs> you know, I think it's safe to say that your approach to fantasy football is not common. So I, I feel – I might be completely wrong, but I feel that 
you deal with trolls or people question your methods a lot, especially if you tweet out a roster that doesn't look normal to what people think is a normal fantasy football draft. So I want to know how do you handle such encounters and what advice do you have to someone new to the industry and new to Twitter to not let them bother them? Well, I enjoy uh, empathy. I love trying to figure out if someone is a troll, why they're saying what they're saying. What are they really getting out of it? What do they feel? Am I am I making them uncomfortable and why? Um, and so I enjoy challenging my worldviews, whether it's fantasy or not. And if I have an opinion and they say something that makes me rethink that opinion, then I now have a better opinion, a stronger opinion. I like to be challenged. Otherwise, there's no point in doing anything we do. I don't think that if everyone has the same Scott Fishbowl roster, that would be very fun. <laughs> um, and so like, what, it's kind of going back to what's the point of what we're doing here. Um, and so I said uh, something about this. If your opinion doesn't like to be challenged, then maybe you should have better opinions. So that's that's kind of my take on that. Is I, it's good to have thick skin. There's no point in punching back. So there's no point in throwing the ball back unless you're offering them some sort of kindness. Um, and so I've had an issue where, you know, someone says something and instead of punching back, I'll say like, well, you know, why do you feel that way? Or something, you know, just something to get them talking more. Mm -hmm. And then they, they realize like, oh, he's not hitting me. He's not doing a little <laughs> Twitter fight with me. Um, and the other option is to just completely ignore them. I had one guy talk about uh, violently shooting someone in the face or something. And so instead of <laughs> engaging him at all, I just blocked him. Yeah. Like, you get to a point where there's like actual aggression, like physical violence threats. I'm like, dude, that's my real name. I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina. He can just start Googling to find me. Like I'm not messing with this. This is not fun anymore. So instead of engaging and threatening him back, I just, I just blocked. And um, ironically, that was a, Oh, I guess I shouldn't alienize a whole fan base. So I won't say which fan base he's from. <laughs> that's fine. No, but it's so, uh, that's why I love the mute button on Twitter. And also one thing I like to tell people is you can just log out of tw Twitter and just go do anything else for the rest of the day. Oh, here's some advice. I uninstall Twitter from Super Bowl through uh, Combine. Just completely take it off my phone. I, I do nothing on Twitter during that time. Um, and I think that that's a good time to not be plugged in constantly to not get NFL updates. Um, and I think that, that that is sound advice for anyone like me who loves to be totally connected 110% of the time. Like if I could read tweets while sleeping, I would do it You know, during the season. I want every competitive edge I've got, you know. So. Sadly, we haven't got to the point where you can schedule retweets. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right, so I'm going to wrap this up here. Um, Halal, why don't you tell people where they can find you um, if you ever decide to write another article. And uh, maybe, you know, tell us a little bit about Fantasy Football King. So the best website for quick judgments in any fantasy uh, dynasty or redraft is playerprofiler.com. They also have an incredible show. Um, but if you listen to the show, you'll know those two guys know nothing about dynasty fantasy football. So it's also a joke. Um, and the guy running the show, Matt Kelly is also known as the pod father. Um, so give him 
a look or two. Um, and I work with the fantasyfootballking.com. Um, Fantasy Football King is made by Patrick Murphy. We offer personalized and fluid fantasy football advice. And there's nothing like having a true expert helping you with your decisions, whether it's a one-hour consult, a 10-minute free consult, that kind of thing, just to kind of get to know the situation better. Um, with a team of experts there to help you at all times. Do your draft with a money-back guarantee if you don't make the playoffs um, for full season management. And I think that that really shows the confidence that we have. I'm not in the business of losing money. Neither is Patrick or any other analyst on there. <laughs> Um, and you can always find me on Twitter at HJChami, um, and you'll see pictures of me and my son getting ready for this show. Uh, <laughs> that's my most recent tweet. So, that's awesome. That's all I've got for you there. Awesome. So I just wanted to thank uh, Hill Al for coming on the show. Um, you guys are listening to This Is A Podcast That I Do. You can find me on Twitter at SalPal2. And uh, this is a podcast that I just did with uh, Hilal at HJChami on Twitter. Thanks for listening and uh, have a, a great rest of your day. This is a podcast I just did. I think it went great. I hope you thought so too. Do 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 do.